Again, Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless, the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rare guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is God's word. Look at the, take a look at the paradoxes of Christian living. And a paradox is bringing together two seemingly contradictory ideas that express an often greater reality. So I think it's often the case, and we see this actually littered throughout the Bible. In fact, some of the key themes of the Bible are paradoxes, things that don't seem to make sense, but they actually form this sort of glorious reality, and we even experience them as you begin to walk with God. Uh, So far, we've covered freedom through slavery, two things you don't often put together, freedom through slavery, abundance through monogamy, and last week, Work through welfare. Today, the fourth and final paradox is also the one that you voted for me to preach on, and that is receiving through giving. Uh, This beat out other candidates like uh, resting through work, and also please keep it short was another candidate, which was actually actually a write-in candidate, apparently. Wasn't on the ballot Some of you suggested that, helpfully, thank you. Next week, we'll begin in depth a look at the person of Jesus 
in the Gospel of Mark. Very excited about this. It was Jesus who most succinctly commented on today's paradox when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Of all the paradoxes we've sort of brooded over, this paradox is the most personally challenging for me to trust and to live out. And the reason is because I am so selfish. Uh, In fact, the morning I began working on this sermon, Katie was trying to get out the door at a meeting at a school where she teaches. And she said, hey, hey, you know, got to get a little help here. The kids, get them ready. I griped, fussed, and said, hey, I'm in the middle of preparing Sunday sermon on giving. Come on. (laughs) Really? It's kind of ironic. And like most of the sin in my life, I can trace this sin, this inner no in my heart, no, I don't want to do this, that manifests itself outwardly, back to a lack of trust. Because really for me, it comes down to, I think for many of us, do I trust Jesus when he says, it is more blessed to stop what you're doing, to get off your bunkie, to get up and give? More blessed to do that than to receive. I really trust him in that. Isaiah 58, which Laura read for us, is the perfect place, I think, to start reorienting our self-centeredness towards an other-centeredness. We see in Isaiah a picture of these blessed blessings. And we also see two approaches for obtaining these blessings. And, you know, the Bible... I think often calls us to pay attention to blessings and promises first. Consider, for instance, how you first trusted Jesus for those of you who have. Right? It was through being attracted to the love, to the glory, to the tenderness, to the goodness of Jesus. That's where it started for you. That's where it starts. And that's actually how we grow as well. And yet so many of us, when we open the Bible privately and to ourselves, we open thinking, oh man, what am I going to have to do today? What am I going to have to read that's going to make me do something in my life? There are certain passages that woo us, that woo our attention to linger on the glory and the blessings, and the promises of God. And I think this is this, this kind of passage we have here this morning. Because look, no one has played basketball like Michael Jordan. No one has played the tenor sax like John Coltrane. No one can grill meat like Bobby Flay. And of course, every South African male here, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. Or so they tell me. To massage that ego. It's all right. (laughs) And no one does glory like Isaiah. No one. So we're going to start here with the glorious blessings. The poetry of Isaiah can't help but inspire and lift you up to purer and crisper air. To a sense of God. So now I will coldly and analytically divide this beautiful poetry into categories of blessing for us. 
because some of us, frankly, we just don't get poetry. All right, so I'm going to talk about the types of blessings we see here, even if I ruin the poetry part of it a little bit. We see six types of blessings here. Let's start here. This is what's going to motivate us, encourage us. First, we see clarity as a blessing in this passage. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom becomes like the noonday. So you get clarity. Not the kind of clarity where you see your whole life plan spread out before you in eight simple steps. But clarity about the purpose of your life. Right? The problem of your life and the solution of your life all of which are centered around the God of your life, Jesus Christ, who reorients and makes sense how we see everything that comes our way in our life. C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best. He said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the Son. Not just because I can see the Son, but because by it, I can see everything else. Because of the Son, I can... I can see things for what they are. That's like Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can see everything in your life for what it is and its purpose and its goodness. Second type of blessing we see here, second category, is healing. Your healing shall spring up speedily, and he will make your bones strong. Aspects of your life that are twisted that are corrupted, that are broken, are made right, are straightened, put back together. Speedily, in verse 8, reminds us that God's bent towards us is to heal sooner rather than later. Although certainly later, if you trust Jesus. Third category we see here is protection, right? We see that in this passage. Righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. A military vision here, picture. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. Those are three great words, right? Here I am to protect. The most important treasures of your life will be protected by the God whose glory covers my back and whose righteousness, which is mine through Christ, goes before me. That's beautiful. Fourth category, we see guidance. There's six categories. Guidance is the fourth. Yahweh will guide you continually. God will give you everything that He has at His disposal to guide you. His Holy Spirit, His sovereign circumstance, which line you line up so that you can walk in them. His people He gives us, His Word to guide us. It's each step of the way. Satisfaction we see here. Fifth thing, satisfaction. Satisfy your desires in scorched places. And you will be like a well-watered garden. We see in verse 11 here. Well-watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your deepest longings find satisfaction. Your, your truest itch finds its scratch. And finally, we see honor here. You will be called, this is 
We end with this verse here in this passage. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. A name for yourself, lasting significance to your life. Now, how do we get this? (laughs) These are great things, glorious blessings. How do we get? We see in this passage two approaches to obtain glorious blessings. And that will lead us to how we get to this idea of giving and blessings and giving. But the first approach is what I call the vending machine approach. See this in verses 1 through 5. I have been a bad pastor this month to our youth here. We have our youth through uh, 12 years old in our service with us, worshiping with us, listening to God's Word with us in July and August. And I have admittedly not preached with them specifically in mind. I'm just going to confess that, but there's ne- you know, it's never too late, I think, to release your inner 10-year-old. So we're going to do that this morning. <laughs> I know that worries some of you. I don't have a vending machine with me uh, or in this church. And you know, there are not many on island, if any. So I lined up front here some beverage cans, all right? And I have three dollar bills right here to exchange for a beverage, all right? So children and youth, raise your hand if you see a beverage you like, all right? If you're a child, youth, it doesn't matter, you can be young. It can be, it's okay, don't be ashamed, you want that beverage, I see it in your eyes. All right, how, Emma, come up front here. Come forward, you have, to grab a, you have to grab a dollar first, which is right here, okay, the dollar's right here, and exchange it for any beverage you want, all right? I know, take a look. I'm just seeing, get a lay of the land. So you're going to go for the healthy choice? Mm, Pepsi, no, okay, very good. Take that. Now, now, you know, wait for your dad and mom to say it's okay to drink it, but go ahead, you can take that, very good. Hard-earned money there that you made for that, very good. All right, who else out there? Okay, right here. Why don't you come up front? Jada, pick something you'd like. Okay, Sierra Mist, excellent choice. All right, Jada, get something. Fine, let's, let's do here, third, third person, last one here. Last one. Oh, over here on the side, uh, Liam, come forward. You can come this way, Liam. I'm going to let you a special dispensation. Climb over, just climb on over. You can climb over. You're an athletic guy. Fruit punch, it's very good. I'm sorry, actually. You want fruit punch, but I'm actually giving you lemonade. Sorry. Okay, you're supposed to be angry. Act kind of angry. There you go. Thank you. Okay, well, that's, that kind of defeats the purpose. But thank you, Liam. I'll give you that later. <laughs> very good. Um, the first principle we learn from vending machines about life. Vending machines operate like every kind of relationship in the West. In the Western world, give it what it wants, and you get from it what you want. That's the idea. Mutual reciprocity upon which capitalism is based, and upon which relationships have taken form in the world we live in today, right? You bring something to the table, you get something back. It's going to come into play here in a minute. I also did a little research on the history of vending machines this last week. The first reference to one in history is actually in the work of a first century, this was interesting, a first century Greek engineer named Hero of Alexandria. He was a hero. Everyone loved the vending machine, clearly, so that's his name. He used a lever attached to a counterweight 
And the machine accepted a coin, and then it dispersed religious holy water that you would get to sort of make you holy and go about your day. All right, that's, that's sort of what happened. And the intent then, as it was now, is to allow people to get what they want without altering the way they live. Without altering the business they're doing and the things they're doing in their life. And so vending, we have vending machines near tennis courts, so you can drink it. You know, drink a beverage and keep on hitting, right? We have vending machines. They're playgrounds, so you can go and grab a beverage while your kid slides down a slide or gets hurt on the monkey bars, right? We have beverages, uh, vending machines in schools. People can keep on learning, all right, for themselves and potentially get diabetes. But that's another story. In other words, you can get things, you can get a beverage, and get what you want, and you don't have to alter how you live your life. So that's the second principle we learn about life from vending machines. We prefer quick benefits that don't require us to alter our lives. During the time God is speaking these words through Isaiah to God's people, they had spent centuries living in a good land, free to worship Yahweh, their God. But they mostly pick and choose commands, and they mostly pick and choose even the gods that they would obey. A little bit of Yahweh... A little bit of this Canaanite God over here. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. They had gotten warnings, including their relatives to the north, who had been punished by God for this kind of picking and choosing. God sent the Assyrian nation to take their relatives to the north captive for a number of years. So they got warnings. Change your ways, change your ways. But instead of changing their lives, God's people think they found a loophole. Pick and choose lifestyle, we can keep doing that. But we'll also make God happy along the way. You know? So he'll bless us. So he'll continue to show favor to us. They've used the vending machine approach to blessing in their lives. And engage, in fact, in two disciplines or modes of worship that God prescribed Sabbath keeping and fasting. Both good and potentially life-giving avenues to worship and better get to know their God, God's people use them as currency to buy Him off. And we see that, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? I'll give a day, a day of token worship, even restrict my diet for you, God. In exchange, you bless our work, our crops, our families. When they don't get what they paid for out of Yahweh, the vending machine, they get angry like Liam was supposed to get. But clearly, he is not treating God like a vending machine, which is awesome, Liam. Way to go, dude. But usually, people get angry. Why have we fasted and you see it not, Lord? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Now, people don't say that, right? Publicly, they still might come to church, put on a happy face privately. They're thinking, God, why have you not given me what I've asked for? God, 
answers this question basically by saying, because you seek me like a vending machine. You put in coins, you expect me to mechanistically dispense the exact blessing that you want. And you don't let your so-called God alter, affect, transform how you live the rest of your life. Behold, in the day of your fast, you also go and seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day won't be heard. Will not make your voice to be heard on high. Hmm. This is immediately relevant to all of us here who are ostensibly present in this building today to worship God. You and I are engaging in historic, I mean, with the saints of all time, with the apostles and the prophets and all the saints who've gone before us, engaging in historic and biblical disciplines like prayer, celebration, corporate singing, studying and meditating on the Word of God. And we question okay, God, why am I then not getting the clarity I've asked for about the direction of my career? Where is the healing for my body and for my past? God promises protection, but I feel as insecure as ever. Why don't I have the friends I want, the security I want? I've deposited my currency. I've even raised my hand during worship. First, God, I think, would say to us through this passage, does your public practice reflect your private worship? See, we prefer quick benefits, like I said before, like the vending machine, that don't alter our lives. Boom, here's the coin. Where's the holy water? Where's the blessing? At your workplace, at home, out and about, are you just seeking your own pleasure as Isaiah God points out through Isaiah here. Because if so, God will not be mocked, friends. Or between these walls you can worship, but out there you don't. That's happening. And by the way, note how God connects, I think this is interesting, he connects the worship and privacy in his house in verse 5, right? The fasting that's going on in his house with worship in public in verse 6. Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen to take care of people outside of these walls? To let what you do here affect how you live out there. You see that? But if we answer that question, secondly, I think God might say to us about not getting specific answers to our prayer, perhaps you don't understand that God seeks a covenant relationship. He seeks a relationship with you and I through Jesus Christ. Called, in biblical terms, a covenant. Now, there's don't have time to talk too much about this. I want to this morning, but don't, no time. More on covenant. I did a whole sermon on it in March 2011. The great thing about our website, you can find pretty much everything you want on our website, including sermons from like three years ago. Even, even my, my real bad ones from the first month I was here. But now it's important to note how in a covenant, it's a relationship, that this agreement you come together with with God, it's a relationship that's more than a contract. More than an exchange. It involves celebration and partying and the worship and celebration of angels who are just delighted to see 
one person come into this kind of relationship with God. So you can be confident that you're not just another number to God. You're not just an exchange to God, a business transaction. Unanswered specifics means that God has something better. All your unanswered specifics means God has something better. You can be confident of that because of the relationship with God when he establishes through a covenant. But a covenant's also more than a love song. Right? It's more than words about love. It's more than feelings and overtures. More than that, it's guaranteed. It's reliable like a contract. It's affirmed by the stronger party going first. And that's what God does. He always goes first with you and I. He always steps out first. Unlike a vending machine's relationship where you got to bring your currency, right? You can't put credit into a vending machine or into relationships in general. God still comes through for us even when we sleep in on a Sunday, doze off in prayer, or don't love our neighbor. It doesn't depend on your performance. God steps out first. And this leads to the second approach we see in this passage, which is the go and do likewise approach. Christianity, friends, has at its center a God whose repeated refrain is go and do like you've seen. Go and do likewise. In fact, Jesus repeats this concept at two of the most profound moments in his ministry. Love your neighbor like the good Samaritan, Jesus says, and then go and do likewise. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus Christ lived out the parable of the Good Samaritan. He left the side of the street that's comfortable. He crossed the street that divided the human and divide to help out the struggling and the beat up like us, those in need of rescue. And he said, go and do likewise. The other times when Jesus loved his disciples to the end by washing their feet in John chapter 13, we see this. Jesus loved his disciples says he loved them to the end by washing their feet. It's a picture of one who deserves all praise and every divine right, getting down and humbling himself to give, to serve himself to half-hearted, fickle human beings who change their mind, frankly, quite a bit on what and who they want to worship. He initiates the doing and then he says, go and do just as I have done for you. And this is important because Our giving cannot be an attempt to gain God's giving. Lest we give up in failure because we're going to fail or grow prideful in success, condescending in success. Oh, well, I was able to give and feel good about myself. I'm somebody. Why don't they give? Our giving is designed to be a response of thanksgiving to His going and doing for us. And we see, well, we, beautiful here, we see God giving in Isaiah 58, looking back through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. Through the cross, Jesus, look at verse 6, Jesus has loosed the chains of wickedness from our lives. The Apostle Paul talks about, in Romans 6, of being freed from a slavery to lawlessness through the death of Jesus Christ. A slavery to that, because lawlessness is only enjoyable for so long then you want more of it. You want something more lawless, more deep. And it never really satisfies. And through the cross, you can be freed from that slavery to that kind of lawlessness. By trusting Jesus, you're no longer subject to the penalty of past lawlessness 
And so you have the courage to move on from slavery. God doesn't hold the past lawlessness against you. So you can say, actually, my changing really does make a difference. Because God has forgiven me for past lawlessness in my life. You might object, but Ryan, why am I still not free from the temper I show towards my kids? My secret indulgences in the night, my selfish patterns of thoughtlessness towards others, my judgmental attitude that I just press up in my heart towards others when I see them act a certain way. Why am I not free from those things? It's interesting here. What's so helpful about Isaiah's description is it envisions a rescuer who goes and loosed the bonds, who undoes the straps. That's important. He initiates. He goes and loosens. But you have to step out of your straps, friends. He loves you. He frees you. He he unloosens. He loosens. He lets go. And you have to walk. Step out of the straps. He does this in our life spiritually in general, but he does this all the time in our lives practically. Intervene. He he gives you that otherworldly moment of silence with your kids, which is often an otherworldly moment, right? You know that feeling. It's that eerie pause, like when you can consider and step out and respond tenderly to your kids, or if you've already gotten angry with them, ask for forgiveness. He'll initiate clearing the way, but you've got to step through. That's that moment in your day when you see a friend in need. You're so prone to hold on to your money, your savings. I don't want to help. They might, they might mooch off me. But God has initiated this means to help free you from the love of money in your life. But you must step out. For those of you who are used to keeping your worship, your religion, your spirituality private, here you are. You're in a church where the preacher's going to tell you the only way to make it here, the only way to last in our church over time is if you connect with others and you serve others. I love that you're here. I want you to be here. The elders, the leaders, everyone, we we all want you to be here, those of us who are kind of regular members of the church. But you're not going to last. You won't be here probably in 2014 if you don't connect and serve. Even now as I speak, then God is initiating a way to loose the bonds, but you have to step out into freedom. And this also helps us with our help, with our giving. God can use each of you to loose, to help. But others have to step out. That helps us. It's not all up to you. It's up to God working. It's up to them stepping out. God has already come in Jesus to pay the penalty of slavery He promised in John 6 to be the bread of life. We see bread here in this passage, right? To those who hunger, to clothe us. We see that idea here in this passage. To clothe us with His righteousness that we might not be found naked and exposed on the day of judgment. Jesus does that. He gives us clothes of His righteousness to wear. He takes away the pointing finger. Though we are to blame by pointing the finger back at Himself. Taking the judgment, just judgment of God on the cross. So as a response of thanksgiving, I want to implore you, step out and give. Give of your time, your talents, your resources, of your very lives. Yes, even of your very lives. Verse 10, talks about pouring out yourself. And that's how the Apostle Paul describes the end of his life. I poured out my life. And in doing so, as you step out and give, watch clarity, healing, protection, guidance, satisfaction and honor just begin to roll in. 
I want to close by encouraging you with two stories of giving, each related to one of these glorious blessings in Isaiah 58. One is just a pleasure to share, especially because many of you know Francois Bazadenhout, and he gave me permission to share this this morning. Francois, he's a great, great guy, good friend to many of you guys. He's actually up, he's not here this morning, so we can't blush, but he's up at a, some type of like headbangers concert in the States. I don't, he did not give me permission to share that, but I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> Sorry, Francois. But he's been giving one hour of his week for the last year or so at Georgetown Primary School to at-risk children through our Adopt-a-School outreach. Just been faithful to go and to give. So one hour a week to be with these kids, at-risk kids. We've been doing this ministry for two years, and there, there's a remnant of people who are faithful to this. So I was chatting with him last weekend, actually out on um, at Governor's Beach, and he says he hasn't known what to do with himself all summer. Just missing those kids, which he says is a miracle in and of itself, because as he says, he, you know, I, lives in a, I live in a single condo, uh, my job requires interaction with just a few people. Then I retire to my corner in my office. Then every week, <laughs> goes to Georgetown Primary. And it's terrifying at the beginning. These children just run at him. But God always comes through. Why? Because though he says at-risk kids mob him from every side, righteousness goes before him. They come from every side. And it can be a terror. Righteousness goes before him, and the glory of the Lord is his rear guard. Because he's stepping out to give. God comes through in this kind of way. These kids can use a caring adult, especially a male, to give, give his time, his most precious resource. God knows, and he comes through. Consider that, by the way, as you think about giving. The last verse um, we read this morning is of one who gives themselves to someone in need, and God says of them, and this is just beautiful, he says, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. How many of you have heard of a woman named Antoinette Tuff? Raise your hand if you have. Antoinette Tuff, raise your hand if you heard of her. How many of you heard of her? Put your hands down. How many of you have heard of her before last week? And that's because... God gave Antoinette a name. God used Antoinette's act of stepping out and giving to give her a hero's name. On Tuesday, Brandon Hill slipped past security in elementary school near Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S. He stepped through with an assault rifle, other weapons, but he never got past the school's front office. A bookkeeper named Antoinette Tuff stepped out and engaged in conversation, the would-be next-in-line tragedy was about to happen. But she reached out to him as a human being. And she found out through just loving him that he hadn't been taking his medicine. He was highly unstable. And as she talked to him, these kids were evacuated to a local Walmart. Now, Antoinette loves God. She goes to church. In fact, she gave all the credit to God after the incident. She talked about, in fact, how her pastor had taught her and her whole church how to, quote, consult people when they are bereaving and all that. How to do that. 
Antoinette has had many private moments of worship in church. And like most churchgoers, has specific prayers that she wants answered from God. In her case, it was for God to rescue her marriage to the only man she ever loved. She was married 30 years to this man. Specific prayer for God to heal her child who had multiple disabilities. Yet, her husband of 30 years left her last year. And her child remains both in constant pain and need. If Antoinette's relationship and approach with God is like a vending machine, she would have met this moment in her life, would-be tragedy that was about to happen in her life, with bitterness and self-protection, as would many churchgoers, acting like our church attendance is our gift to God and God should produce the goods. She could have easily said, man, I don't have to do this. What has anyone else done for me? God hasn't come through. I need to protect myself and get the mess out of here. Instead, the specific prayers that went unanswered in her life were the very touch points that God used to relate to a sad and desperate gunman. In sharing with him how everyone has a burden, she gave of herself, poured out of herself as she talked openly about her husband who recently left her. An unanswered prayer. And openly about her child still in desperate need and handicapped. Friends, see, God has a plan even with our unanswered request. In this case, seeing lives of likely dozens of children saved and being assigned a true hero's name, a true repairer, a true restorer. Friends, God has crossed the street. He has crossed the street. He has gone to us in the person of Jesus and given us himself. Let us go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, these are amazing blessings. Guidance, protection, satisfaction, honor. So many here, Lord. And the world would say, here's how you get them. Here's how you try for them. Oh, Lord, sometimes our worship reflects the world so much, Lord. Like this sort of capitalistic exchange system where you pick out whatever you want in the store, and that's exactly what God's going to give you. Oh, but God, you have so much more for us. And you showed that to us. You crossed the street. You went and did through Jesus Christ to loose the chains. To give us bread that we might never go hungry. Clothed with righteousness that we may never be found naked, Lord, and exposed. Thank you. Help us, Lord, go and do likewise. And here's what I ask, Father. I pray that it would begin just by doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Doing for one person, one group, what we wish we could do for all people. And if we did that one, if everyone here did that one, wow, what a blessing rolling in Lord, to our church and as a people. That would be an awesome. Give us that vision today, Lord. Help us do for one this school year, the start to the September, Lord. We wish we could do for everyone. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.